薄いのはほ<laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes. Every single day is a, another day closer. But at, le- at least we have shoujo manga to kind of help ease the pain slightly. So Yes, every day I'm just like, thankfully I have this stack of shoujo manga I haven't read. <laughs> yeah, or in my case, rereading、uh, the series that we're going to be talking about today because sometimes some things go in one ear out the other. So I've had to reread those seven volumes.、Uh, Few times now. <laughs> well, that's up to,、okay. up to and including about an hour ago. So, <laughs> no, don't worry. I also, well, I managed to finish pretty early today, but that's rare for me. But anyway, so Kenzie, who are you? You want to elaborate more on who you are? Yeah, sure.、Um, my name is Mackenzie McCollum. I am a Japanese historian and freelance translator and former. 10 year English teacher in Japan, which was a fun adventure that I have plenty of stories about. And as of November last year, I currently run the YouTube channel Mac Loves Manga, in which I talk about manga, anime, and all things kind of Japanese culture through the lens of shoujo and jose manga, since those tend to be kind of Underrepresented in terms of the creator sphere. There's about a dozen, two dozen, maybe even three dozen One Piece channels, but oh yeah、um, definitely not as many people talking about shoujo. And it was actually a few of your former guests that got me、uh, got me on track to wanting to do it because as a trans person who isn't, as you can tell, I'm I, I, I jokingly call myself a deep voice magical girl, but I never really got the whole <laughs> voice training thing down. And anytime I would try to, it would sound really fake. So I was like,、uh, I, I'm good at talking to people, so I can kind of make things work. But it was actually Gianna and Chica of Shoujo Sunday, who have been former guests on here,、mm-hmm. talking about one of my, I don't want to say favorite, because Alice the 19th is a very interesting series. Uh, <laughs> oh, <Alice. Yes. laughs> but, uh, but it was them and Colleen from Colleen's from her channel.、Um, it was kind of the three of them that got me wanting to kind of put my opinion to voice and kind of you. Because before then, I was just posting on Twitter or Instagram or whatever and kind of giving my opinions. But It was actually the release of Romantic Killer and Viz putting that in the shoujo beat line, despite not actually being a shoujo, that I was like, well, I have two options. Either I could do a 70 post thread on Twitter that will be read by like two people, or I could try to turn this into a video. And with 
kind of their little nudging and helping and advice, um, I was able to start creating and it's been fun though. Definitely not easy because last month our house got hit by lightning and it kind of blew up my computer and all of my recording equipment. So I I had to get all new equipment there and luckily it's all working as you can hear now. So yeah, well, that's great because I always love more people yelling about shoujo manga, although I will never make videos because I'm like, nah, y'all could make me say whatever now with AI, I have so many voice samples. You can't have my likeness too. like, no. <laughs> that's yeah, no, I, I get it. I mean, that's kind of why I'm glad I have my avatar that helped design there, um, though, admittedly, like you said, AI can and will and probably eventually in a few years do anything. So yeah. that's kind of where we're at. <laughs> That's where I am now. And I'm like, nah. But okay, so Kenzie, we're here to talk about the first roughly half of Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts. So this is the spoiler-free section for everybody. So for like 10 to 15 minutes, we will attempt to talk about this very high level, and then I'll give a spoiler warning. So Kenzie, for people who don't know or need a reminder, (laughs) what is Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts about? You know, that's actually really funny because there's a part of me that wants to just do the, the Wikipedia side of things, but I feel like that's too easy to cheat because uh, this is a series that is a personal top five favorite of mine. So, with and it's hard because when you've read the whole thing, you kind of want to say more than you're willing to probably or what you should say. So, uh, the, the but the general idea is that there is this land of beasts and humans and there is this miasma it's this poisonous miasma that exists and it every i think what is it like it's not every month or it's like every like there's a time when the miasma which is a poison in the air that is poisonous for humans uh it lifts momentarily and it lifts for a night and in that time period the king is given a human sacrifice to eat in order to kind of assert their dominance over the the weaker quote-unquote human race and uh things have been going well for a while but then comes the 99th sacrifice and the 99th sacrifice is a girl named sorry or sorry or However, anybody wants to pronounce it, everyone has different pronunciations, but she is brought to the capital and she's brought in front of the king and isn't groveling. She's not groveling for her life. She's not begging for forgiveness or to live. And uh, that kind of intrigues the king because for so long now, everybody has been kind of bending over backwards in fear over the king. And then here comes this girl who's like, yeah, kill me. Do it. What what do I got to lose? Because for sorry, she's essentially been raised to die, which is something that kind of has haunted her for her whole life. Um, She has a fascination with eyes and her kind of, pseudo parents always had this like really haunted look in their face because she was being raised for i believe she's 15 which we'll get into later but i believe she's like early teens but so for her entire life she's been raised 
to essentially be a sacrifice. So she doesn't really have any other purpose besides dying. So she's just kind of accepted her fate, and this intrigues the king enough that she deci- he decides to let her wander around and kind of do whatever she wants, you know, within reason until the time of the ritual comes because she doesn't really have anywhere else to go at this point. And so the time comes for, and mind you, this is all within like the first chapter. So this isn't really spoiler territory yet, but so the time comes and she's brought to a hidden chamber and an assassin pops out thinking, Hey, this is the King. I'm going to kill the King. And all of a sudden this, long-haired emo boy comes out of nowhere with chiseled looks, six-pack abs, and really good-looking, which, you know, credit to uh, <laughs> credit to the author. She uh, definitely knows how to design her characters. Um, but <laughs> he, he pops out and takes care of the assassin and reveals himself to be the king in human form because when the miasma is not present he turns into a human because he himself is part human. And so with this knowledge and with Sari being just this really fascinating individual who seems to genuinely care to the point where she gives him the name Leonhart or Leo, as she tends to call him, he decides, you know what? Screw conventions. I am going to take you as my queen's consort, and I am going to make you my queen, which ruffles a lot of feathers in the beast community. And from there, we get the story of the, their life together. Uh, Sari's life, Leo's life, the friends, the people that try to get in their way of their relationship, people that come into their lives. One of the benefits of the series and that if you want to get into now, one of the benefits of the series is that each volume is very much its own self-contained narrative. So each volume is very much its own like singular story within itself that it has this really great episodic feeling to it where each, it's there is this giant overarching ser- overarching plot line, but within that as well, there is this really unique like mini plot within each of them that makes it very interesting. And yeah, it's long winded, but that is the general plot line of Sacrificial Prince and. Uh, Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts. I had the volume right in front of me and I still messed up the name. Sacrificial Prince and the Princess of yep. Beasts. Yep. The Queen of Beasts. Yep, it Umaga. still happens. Yeah, uh, Yeah. no, I, I really liked the pacing of the volumes for sure. Like it doesn't always line up perfectly, but there are some volumes where it was like, here, I have introduced a character. By the end, we have resolved a whole arc with them. And I was like, that's like refreshing, knowing especially that you didn't publish it as a book. It was published in a magazine. Which was, and it was published in one of my favorites, actually. It was published in Hana to Yume, which is probably one of the biggest shoujo manga magazines ever. Like, think of like some of the, the biggest series, like Yona, Skip Beat, Cheeky Brack, Gekigan Alice, Essay, 
Tears of the Lamb, Sacrificial Princess. Like this is a it published it even published my favorite manga of all time, which is Sukaban Deka, which went on to inspire uh, a little series called Kill a Kill. And uh, never that heard of it. not my favorite anime. <laughs> <laughs> but it was actually Sukaban Deka which inspired Trigger to take a chance on creating a series like Kill a Kill. And it was a series when I was in Japan that I fell in love with and reading. And actually, while I was there, every week I would go and I would get the next issue and I would read it. And I so I read the magazine and serialized form for a good solid eight plus years. And it's definitely a favorite of mine. And I that's actually how I ended up discovering the manga in the first place. Yeah. So obviously, Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts, one of your favorite manga. I have to admit that. So it's very funny for me because I covered the first volume of this way back when it was first getting published in English. And I was experimenting with preview guides for new manga. Um, so that was like four or five years ago. I forget. I didn't look it up. I think it was 2017 or 2018. So this, I think this is the first vo- the like manga that I'm covering that that's happened for. So that that's exciting. I never read past the first volume until right now, though. So, <laughs> oops. <laughs> no, and weirdly enough, I think I remember that. I think it was 27 late 2017 early because I'm one of those weirdos that's listened to every episode of this podcast. So. Yeah, that's that's hardcore dedication that I'm like, I don't think I would do that if I didn't make this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I got to listen to something while I'm at the gym, so it helps. OK, yeah, like uh, you're, you're getting buff while, <laughs> while listening to Shoujo and Tell. I love it. That's the best. OK, so, you know, what what makes Sacrificial Princess one of your top five manga? Like, why do you what, why do you love it so much? What's your favorite aspect of the series? I think that. It takes sort of the, I mean, you look at this manga and there's a certain series or book or something that comes to mind immediately, which is Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast was always my favorite Disney movie and has been since I was little. It was always my favorite. And I think it boiled down to just, you know, the don't judge a book by his cover, don't you know, don't judge before you really know somebody like that kind of aspect, that plot line as old as it is, was always something that was really interesting, especially someone who didn't really feel comfortable in their own skin as well. And kind of didn't really kind of feel comfortable with how they felt. So I could really relate to the beast in that, in that sense. So then when this manga came out, which like I said, I was in Japan at the time and I was reading it and it, it came out. I'm like, huh, this is really interesting. I mean, it's beautifully drawn. So that mm-hmm. was one of the things that came to mind because the fact that Leo could be just that sexy as a beast <laughs> and a human is just credit where credit's due. Yeah, there was Tomofuji's working really hard on how how pretty they all are. I was like, okay. There's some definite hear me outs here, is all I'm going to say. There's a lot of hear me outs, um, and that's a big credit there. But I, I think ultimately, it's just the idea of the series is based a lot in kindness and compassion and empathy. And 
you can really see with all of the characters that even even people who are like like take Anubis for example, he is the Sundry boy. He is just the he is just he is I love him. <laughs> he he's so angry, but he's also really deep. There's a lot more to him than just being the you know being the angry prime minister there's a lot more to his character there's more to every character than just the base idea and the base sort of tropes that you would come to expect from these kind of characters you know sorry is really kind and compassionate and caring but she also has her moments of insecurities and guilt and her own traumas that she has to go through and it's the same with leo he always has to deal with the fact that he feels lesser in some ways because he is not fully human. So there is that sense of duty to be the king and duty to be strong because that's what's demanded of the king, but also dealing with his own insecurities as well. And that's just kind of every character down the line has this surface idea of what they're supposed to be. But there's... I hate to quote Shrek here, but there's layers to it. There's a lot of layers to every single character that it just, it makes it a really compelling story. And like I had mentioned earlier, the fact that every single volume, for the most part, I mean, obviously some of them are a little bit looser ended, but the fact that there were these, you could pick up a volume, you could read it and have a good idea of, you know, what to expect. They don't leave you on, usually leave you on such a massive cliffhanger that you don't know what what's coming next so you can just like i feel like it's a really good series to just like immerse yourself in because it is fantasy but it's not like the world isn't so complicated that you need like a glossary or like some like final fantasy level like giant like scroll down thing to understand everything going on it's very simple but complicated and the way everything blends together just really makes it a compelling narrative and yeah it's just it's one of those series where every time i read it i feel like i get something new but i also really feel like it just stands on its own as one of my favorites even though it has a few issues we'll get into later but <laughs> yeah but it's definitely been one of my favorites since I read it and I won't a, a lot of the reasons I like it will come in later and I don't even mean this episode I mean the next, the next part <laughs> yeah. that if you want like like the little mini reasons and the little specific you know the specific reasons why a lot of them will come later on in the second part of this episode where we talk about volumes 8 through 15 so in kind of the general sense, like I said, it's the plots, the characters, it's the depth, it's the art. It's kind of everything coming together in this like perfect circle of shoujo fantasy romance. Yeah, that makes sense. I just, so uh, my husband Asher actually re-listened to the epi- the preview episode we had done about volume one. He was like, Ashley, you were actually more like positive toward the series than me. Like you were more convinced that it would be it would go good places in the end and I was like really I don't remember (laughs) but now I'm like yes it actually does do a pretty good job you know because I'm always skeptical I'm like oh gosh it's a a series about beast people and a human who loves them like 
I don't know. <laughs> like I might be too squicked for that, but so far it's done a pretty good job of keeping the squick levels like very low for me while being a great political intrigue story with a lot of solid character development. Yeah, I think I think the political intrigue is definitely something that really helps too because there is always that like underlying factor of like kind of west wing style politics where you know every it's not just comfy slice of life you also have a lot of the little a lot of the bigger things that kind of swoop in and make you go oh yeah some people are actually in danger here but not like oh look there's a giant dragon danger but oh no they're plotting something against me danger yeah, I, yeah. As a massive Fire Emblem fan, I like that kind of storytelling. So, yeah, for sure. I'm always like, I guess it's intriguing that I like this story because I'm like, I would never survive doing like politics, like political, actual politics, politeness politics. I'm like, I am bad at that. So, like, mm-hmm. I would just absolutely die in this world. Like, so I, I admire. Sorry for. <laughs> her ability to navigate this this world so well and it's definitely not easy she has a lot of struggles there but the fact that she's able to do it while mostly being positive and not in the like oh boy i gotta be so pot like but like actually but like having like genuine positivity is very refreshing yeah for sure so yeah so let's uh I'll just say that Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts is available in English from Yen Press, both physically and digitally. The anime is also airing this season on subscription services that I personally have forsaken and will not name, but you know, you can Google it. So if we've intrigued you and you want to go read it, um, that's how you can go read it. Otherwise, we're going to go spoil all the things, but also it's about the first half of the series. So how much is that spoilers? you decide here's the warning <laughs> if you don't want to know things pause now otherwise we're going to talk further about sorry and everybody else so yeah so do you like like sorry i do i i really think that her optimism and kindness in the face of everything it i mean she's not just some i don't like a shonen protagonist that is so positive about everything that mm. they're willing to kind of overlook all of like the things that are negative or, Oh yeah, just stay positive. Believe it. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the fact that she's able to look at things pragmatically while also being positive, I think is really important because just, if she was just so positive and kind the entire series, then that would actually maybe have put me off a bit. But the fact that she has this trauma of being essentially, I don't really like this word, but you know, groomed to be put to death, essentially to Mm -hmm. the point where every time she would look in her parents' eyes, she would see this haunted, empty look. And it gave her a sense of not really feeling like she had any purpose or any reason to live, or really anything. She was just, like, she could have just accepted to be a shell, essentially. And I think the fact that once she did find Leo, and once she did kind of find some kind of purpose, she didn't want to just sit by and do nothing. 
you know, she wanted to go do the trials and she wanted to try to push herself to be more queenly, to try to not have Leo be essentially always saving her life and always doing everything for her. She wanted to stand up and be her own woman. And even if you have like crazy cat ladies trying to pin you against a wall and <laughs> yeah. tell you, go away or I'll kill you. You know, it, I, I think she kind of set herself up where she could keep that positivity and while still trying to push herself to be the kind of person that she thinks Leo wants, but also give herself reason to be there. And I think it helps that she surrounds herself with people that are there to support her. And, you know, it really does help, especially having Cy and Klops there is, is great. They're so though, adorable. I, and I realize they're technically, well, I mean, there's two mascot characters if we really want to get into it between the Phoenix and yeah. Cy and Klops. But I think having them there, despite being mascot characters and being there essentially to be the, look, we're the cute, adorable characters. Like, they really do help a lot. You know, they don't really get a lot of credit besides being cute but i think a lot of the times whenever sorry just feels really down or doesn't really know what to do they tend to be there for her and i think that's really important i i think there's a lot of depth to her character so long story not short at all yeah i really do love her as a character yeah i think as you said, if she had turned out to be that kind of like positivity all the time with no edge to her, I would have been like, this is grating. But she, there there are moments or like specific scenes where like suddenly she just has this super edge and you're like, oh, OK. I think like two or three stand out to me, like when she's being tested by the fish people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he keeps being like, I, you know, f- fake Gallus, or however mm-hmm. we say his name, uh, Jaws was like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. His name is Jaws. <laughs> like, yeah. okay. Um, he was like, "I hold your fate in my hands, girl. Like, what are you gonna do?" And she's just like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, His Majesty. I, I guess I can't be your queen." And then she like berates Jaws for like a, yeah. a page, and I was like, "Yes, get it, girl. Like, tell him that he sucks and like do all these things." Because she's just like, okay, well, now there's no, I'm not trying to, like, do a trial, right? Like, so we're done here. Now I just get to tell him how he's jerk and everything. Yeah, screw being nice. I'm just going to tell him straight to, you know. Yeah. I'm just going to tell him to his face, you know. What what do I have to lose? Ultimately, what does she have to lose a lot of the time? So it, it does really help when something like that comes up. And it's like, yeah, screw it. I'm just going to. I'm just going to ream you for right in yeah. front of everybody. Yeah. Or like even when the, the little princess Tetra mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to go commit suicide, which first of all, ex- escalation, but we'll, yeah, we'll get that, there. that escalated <laughs> real quick. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that, but we'll oof. get back to such an escalation. But yeah. So then, then, you know, Tetra is like going on why she wants to commit suicide and Sai and Klops keep being like, no, that's not right. And sorry. like, I don't know. She has a point. Like, <laughs> just just give her the win here Guess like I'll I don't die. think she should kill herself but like she has a point you know <laughs> like, 
Yeah, our like um you can give your third example here, but a great example for me is like when she did have her first test to summon what ended up being the Phoenix, she was just kept going. Like didn't really matter whether she would die or not. She was just kept going and going, not out of some like determination, but just because she did have that sort of, well, what do I have to lose? If I die, I die. I came here to die anyway, so if I die doing the summoning, oh well. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> she takes so many literal leaps of faith in this. Yeah. She's just like, I don't know, I'm going to jump and see what happens. And everybody's like, don't. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, a bird's going to come save you now or like a dragon or something, right? Like, Or your future husband. Or yeah, or someone's going to someone's gonna come and save you. But the fact that she doesn't know that, she is willing to just do it. You know, that, it's kind of refreshing. You don't really see that a lot. She doesn't just sit there and cry or sit there and uh, just be all, oh, every, you know, someone's going to come save me. Everything's fine. Nothing to worry about. La, la, la. Like, no, she's yeah. like, screw it. If I'm going to if I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory, I might as well. I'm going to jump all the way off. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> you're like, OK. Yeah, no, I think my third example is just that I love the like tit for tat crap that she's getting into with Anubis after mm. the like library incident where he's like i could just i just could just kill her right here like i could i could do that like oh except my body is so feeble and he faints and then she's there and he's like i hate you so much and she's just like oh i'm glad you said that it would be weird if you said you liked me no i Peace. i love that i love that he's like i'm gonna kill you and she's like bet <laughs> <laughs> try me yeah she's like okay well at least we the stakes are clear now Pace. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it definitely, it definitely, it definitely helped, is all I'm going to say. Having somebody who is willing to be as blunt like that, because this sort of storyline happens quite a bit in shoujo. Maybe not always in the fantasy sense, but, you know, the, that sort of storyline where the, the girl's not accepted by the group and tries to feel like that she needs to prove herself. But then here comes the male lead swooping in to save the day. And she's like, I'm a wilting flower. And, oh, like, let me stare blankly into the into the abyss while he takes care of everything. Or I take care of things, but unknowingly take care of things. Like, she's being forefront, in the forefront of things and actually taking the chance to go and do these things. And that is always really cool to me. And I didn't mean to bury bibliophile princess there because I realized that that's just the plot to that, but Oh, well, <laughs> this series better. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, I don't know that much about bibliophile princess. <laughs> I know of it. <laughs> I, I like when the female lead has a backbone is all I'm going to say. Yeah. And it's definitely like, I don't know. It's fun to see Sari get into these positions where it's like everybody is against her and you're like, what is she going to do? How is she going to kind her way out of it? It's like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she's got to keep it real and it helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just got to be real and you're like, I mean, that's, I think one of the major themes that we can get into later is like 
how do you cut through the artifice of mm-hmm. everything here? I also, until like the seventh volume and I started reading other people's stuff about the series, I had been like, yeah, Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts, clunky title where it just describes how she was going to be a sacrifice in the beginning. And then I was like, oh, no, maybe it's also about how she has to like sacrifice a little. She has to go through these trials and like try to not sacrifice a lot of things along the way, you know, but also inevitably has to sacrifice things. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll give clunky title. I mean, it, it's still a clunky title. I yeah. mean, I'm just going to be honest. It's a, it's not light novel clunky, but it is definitely a clunky title, which can sometimes happen when you have these series that, you know, you got to translate it to English. So when you have something like Nihime Takono Neo, or you have something like kind of just that rolls off a lot easier in Japanese when you have to switch it over to English, sometimes things get a bit lost in translation. Not everything can be Bleach or Naruto or <laughs> One Piece or Mob yeah. Psycho. You know, sometimes you got to really, you, you got to make that executive decision of do you go Japanese titling or do you go translation and sometimes it does get a bit clunky but like you said it does have a sort of double meaning to it so it really does help things along i think it helps it's still inelegant but it helps it does (laughs) i will give it more points than i was giving it before but yeah we should talk about his majesty because like we haven't talked about him a lot but he's he's there a lot he's oh no he's he's he is always there to give his opinion and stand there and look way better than he has any right to. <laughs> oh, especially when he put on that old King's garb too. Mm-hmm. We were all like, Oh, stop. <laughs> I mean, granted. Yeah. He's hot in both forms and he's definitely, I made a joke on Twitter that he's the hill I will die on in <laughs> terms of like human or beast. It's like, who's one of the hottest men in all of shoujo. And I'm like, I will point to him. Like, this is the hill I will argue to death on. You're like, I'll die for Leo. That being said, he is a lot more than just very good looking and grouchy and angry. He, he really is a good dude underneath all of it. And I think that's something that I'm glad they established early on is that, You know, he isn't just, oh, I'm going to be the, you know, I'm the grouchy king and oh, my heart will melt when I meet this girl and I will change my ways. Like, he's still always very much himself, but he definitely loves Sari and is willing to put other people's needs before his own, which he doesn't need to do. He can just be the king, but, you know, like I was mentioning somewhat in the synopsis, but I didn't want to get too much in there was that the fact that every time there was a sacrifice while he was King, at least he would just use his own human blood as a sacrifice and let the person go. Like he has this like very grouchy, crunchy exterior, but then he's very soft on the inside. And I, I, it's always really endearing to me. He's using the, the grouchiness as a shield to, so people don't see how he's a big mm. soft, softy 
because uh, otherwise they would think that, you know, yeah, he's weak and can't rule the nation or whatever. So he's like, okay, I'll just yell a lot. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's really hard too, because you have this duty of so many years and so much precedence that comes before it where, you know, you look at his mom and dad and you look at his family and their family and the royal lineage throughout history and the expectations and realities of everything. And this is a story that's been done hundreds of times before about the king that feels conflicted about duty versus what the heart wants, but they really do a great job here with him. Though I do wonder, I mean, you saw the picture of his mom and dad, right? Like his mom's a rabbit. His dad's a, like a beast, like a lion. Yeah. Is this just Beastars? Is it, I definitely, throughout <laughs> reading it, I was like, oh, I'm going to mention that it's like Beastars, right? Like, it's, <laughs> I feel like even without that, it was inevitable. It's lying there, you know? <laughs> I know. Because that's probably the other big series that everybody thinks of in terms of like beast romance kind of things. Yeah. But I just saw the picture of those two and I'm like, this isn't on purpose, right? Like, this isn't like a little... No, it's just mom's in a rabbit. This is B stars. <laughs> this is B stars. I was like, it probably is B stars. They probably it was probably purposeful. Eh, you never know. I mean, they were being published around the same time. For all we know, like reading it physically, I don't know. You read it digitally, I'm assuming, correct? Yeah, I read it digitally. Okay, so did they have the side notes in the digital version that yeah. she put in? Okay. Because, like, reading all of her little side notes and everything, I think some of her jokes are on purpose. And I don't know if that was meant to be, like, a little wink to, uh, you know, it's like, oh, well, I guess there's two Beast Romance series being being on the shelves right now. Uh, being wink, big but, right now, winky. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for all we know, it could have been a wink or a nod. But I just saw that and I was like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. No. But, no, he's and he's such a he's such a kind and caring character, and he's a very he was a very that little when he was a kid. That was so cute. He's so a, cute. I want one. <laughs> I want. I just want a plush of it, like like a little baby. Li- yes. I wish this. I just wish the anime was doing a lot better than it is, because man, I could do for some merch there. Like a little Leo, yeah. Leo plush, child Leo plush. Like, yes, oh, man. child Leo plush. Like I would just smoosh it all the time. Be like, you're so cute. <laughs> I would throw so much money at merchandise, but apparently the series ain't doing too well. So it's a shame. I've been generally confused about its level of popularity, at least in the West. Yeah, it's one of those series where it was popular in Japan when it was when it was being released, obviously mm-hmm. it got 15 volumes yeah. and was being published in the largest shoujo mag. Well, besides maybe like Margaret, like one of the largest shoujo magazines out there and had very prominent like positioning in the magazine. Mm-hmm. So again, positioning in magazines is really important. So like you want to make sure that if you're putting a story in a magazine, like, you know, if it's not the beginning or the end, you want it to be right between like two of your bigger stories. Like, you know, if you're going to put it like between a skip beat or a Yona, 
or something along those lines. You want to put it between some of those. And it had really good positioning. And it was doing really well. I mean, the fact that it got announced for an anime after it was finished, because it ended, I want to say, two, two and a half years ago, possibly Mm. three now at this point, but it ended like two years ago. And the fact that it got picked up for an anime, and not just a 12 episode, but a full 24 episode complete adaptation of the entire source material Mm. by JC staff who, you know, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. It's kind of a roll of the dice, whether you're going to get a Kanesuba or a seven deadly sin. Like you don't really know what you're going to get with them, but they, but they're a good, they're a solid, they're not Engie studios or they're not like some really bad, notoriously bad anime studio. They're, a good solid work for hire studio. So they got this really solid work for hire studio and it gets getting a full adaptation. And it was announced with an English dub almost immediately, which tells you that they're really trying to push for it in the West. Mm-hmm. And how much have you heard about it this season? Uh, not, I feel like I saw some reviews of episode one and some people tweet about it on my timeline and that's like, that's it. Yeah. It's like me and Colleen. So, (laughs) and maybe like, maybe like one other person. So yeah. Yeah. It kind of just, it's just poor timing when you got demon slayer and you got, and you got uh, Oshinoko and you got all these other big ticket series that are, airing and not only that but it aired late in the season it debuted like a month after Mm. everything else had debuted i think it's one of those series that'll have legs over time but right and i'm just glad it's getting a full adaptation look at how many great series that have come out that don't even get a second season yeah i mean look at skip eating yona for example both of those series have plenty of source material and nothing so at least it's getting the full treatment, which is more than a lot of series get nowadays. But at the same time, it is sad that besides like one or two people, no one's really talking about it. So I don't know if it will be, we might get a few acrylic stands, maybe a poster, a wall scroll, but I doubt we're really going to get a whole lot of material there, which sucks because I'd love a kid Leo. That would be a great plush to have. Yeah. So I actually, so one of the like reviews that I read of the anime was on Anime Feminist. And then I read the, Mm -hmm. there were only a couple comments. So I read the one comment and it was all about like the negative things, right? So maybe we can address those so people like aren't as, as, yeah. I mean, yeah. And we can get back to like the characters and stuff. But I think since we're on the topic of that, I think it is important to bring up that there are some things that, would be definite hangups for people just looking. Especially with Leo and Sari. Yeah. You wanna go ahead and you wanna go ahead and bring that el- elephant in the room now? <laughs> there's so many. I feel like there's two. Well there's which, three. Which one do you which uh maybe <laughs> three that I can think of. Which one yeah. do you want to drag in first? The fact that he's twenty five and she's fifteen? <laughs> yeah, I guess we should that one is bad. Um the fact that uh, she has no power and he has all the power. He has all the and... power. He like definitely just like the sexual tension in the first chapter, which it was meant to be a one shot. So like, 
you know, yeah. I understand. But also just like that tension was so high. <laughs> and like he just tops her and you're like, okay. <laughs> you know? And it's 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 better as the series goes on. Yeah. It goes from being creepy to, oh, okay, all right. Okay, go off. You know, like yeah. the it, it gets a lot better as the series goes on because it becomes more consensual. Yeah. But yeah, very early on there is that um that sense of domination there and that definite power imbalance where he holds all the cards and that definitely uh leaves a lot to be desired. The age gap one though is a it's a big one, and it's a big thing for a lot of people. I mean, you look, go on to Twitter or Instagram or anywhere that people talk about shoujo, and people will always love to flaunt that in shoujo fans' faces that, oh, well, you yeah. guys just all love age gap romances. And, you know, some of them definitely have some merit. Some of them don't. Like, if there's like a one-year age gap or a two-year age gap, I mean, yeah. come on. Okay, come, on. come on. I mean, if it's like if it's like eighteen, sixteen, then you know, okay, there's an issue there. But if it's like twenty, eighteen, like okay, settle down there, buddy. Like there's there, there's not yeah. that big of a problem there. Eight, fifteen, and twenty five, though. Eh. Understandable. Yeah. I think the issue for it with it for me right now also is that it's not like. Takane and Hana or most of these series where at least it's like addressed I feel like it has been addressed zero times so far <laughs> like they have never discussed it themselves within the manga and I'm like hmm okay choices I don't know or I don't remember what volume it is I'm gonna have to dig through it and I'll get back to you on the second part of this but there is a volume in which she does bring it up okay and all she just all she says is yeah She's 15, he's 25. Shrug. <laughs> Shrug. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, but see, that's not like addressing it, really. That's it's not addressing like... it, it's just saying. Yeah. Like, I could have just assumed that she was like 18, he's 20 or so, because he doesn't look old. Even in his human form, he just looks like a hot twink, essentially. Like, it's yeah, not yeah. Like he's, it's not like he's this, like deep voice like bearded kind of like he looks like every other dude from most shoujo manga so the impetus is really on her to put the age, the actual ages in there and then to just go yeah there's a 10 year age gap and i'm not gonna address it any further yeah i was like <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little it's a little like that's all i'm gonna say that's a little as much as I love the series, it is one of those things where I can understand if somebody has an issue with that because it is an issue. I think not to get on a soapbox here, but I do think it's important when you have a favorite kind of media, you need to be able to be critical about it. Like you need to be able to address the issues and concerns with it without needing to say like, oh, I hate it. Like, you can have things in a series you love that are problematic, and you can't just brush it under the rug because these are problematic things that are there and people will have issue with and need to be brought up. And you just got to be okay with people being critical of the media and just, like, support. I mean, if someone wants to be a 
a jerk about it, then that's different. But I think it is important to bring these things up and be critical of them because otherwise, you know, you can't just kind of blindly support something. You need to be able to address things when they come up. And that age gap is definitely one of them. And even under the, uh, I, I call it like the fantasy rule, it's still weird. Like the fantasy rule is like, you know, then you start getting to like ages of, you know, people right. over time. Like people in Lord of the Ring, I think Aragorn was like 400 years old or something. And like, there's, a, there's like a hundred year, 200 year age gap between like some of the characters in that series. But even under fantasy roles, eh, still shaking. Yeah. And it tries to, I don't know, sometimes it will be like, you know, like Tetra is like eight in human years yeah. and you're like, okay, what is she mm. a beast? Like the, 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 the math is not clear <laughs> at, all, yeah. at all times within the series. No, and you know, then you have like Anubis, who could be hundreds of years old for all we know. So, and or you have like all these characters where it could be like, oh, well, I'm this age, or it's like you know, like what is twenty five in Beast years for yeah. all we know. Like, it's hard to establish. They do a good job of establishing sort of a timeline and a history of things, especially when they do like the flashbacks. That being said time man what do you know what do you know about time (laughs) outside Eh, i don't know anything but yeah i i don't know the power imbalance and sexual like stuff i do think at least the series grapples with those issues so i give it more of a like pass on those the other thing that irks me a little is that it's like monarchy we're not critically examining monarchy. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I could see how that could definitely be an issue. I just, it is what it is at this point for a lot, a lot of series are just like, man, royalty is awesome, isn't it? Yeah, and no, I'm like, no. No, it's not. No, it's it's, not. it's objectively not, but. Have I you seen you King also- Charles? Like, come on, no. <laughs> Although that being said, Japan does have a long long history of emperors and people in power and patriarchy that's just been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I can understand why an author in Japan would feel the need to be a bit more, or I should say a little less critical of it than somebody from America, Canada, or kind of a Western country that doesn't have a monarchy or patriarchy. Like I get it. I don't like it either, but I get it. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. But yes, let's go back to characters. Let's talk Speaking about Speaking of Anubis. An- Anubis, yes, exactly. Speaking let's get to Anubis. our sundry little boy. I love Anubis. At first I was having difficulty understanding him, and then we got to that flashback chapter. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I think I think I get you, bro. Like, you just really don't trust anybody. You think that Sari is like super shrewd and cunning and like every she's like premeditating everything. Um, but you really want to be loved genuinely, you know, by the king or or by Sari, and you just won't admit it because you're just so soon about it. You're just, just, just a little soon. <laughs> yeah, he's uh I, I think he is a very complicated character because he's doing everything that he believes is good and right for the kingdom and for the king. Yeah. 
he's just a, I don't know what would fall under the line of explicit here, but he's an ass about it, as I'm just going to say. So, yeah. And you can bleep that if need be, but I mean in the donkey sense. He's just stubborn as a mule, and he's very rude and condescending, but also he does kind of bring it on himself. He's a he's a hard character to to pin down, and I think that makes him very interesting. But he also deserves everything that comes to him most of the time. So I mean, it's kind of hard to feel too bad for him. You just you go, I get it, but also, yeah, <laughs> I, it's it's one of those things where with a lot of the characters when they meet, sorry, they you know there's a point of tension, and then it resolves with them being very positive towards her usually and like Mm -hmm. they either go off on because they're not like a major character so they go off somewhere else or like you had that one moment of relief and you know you'll get another moment of tension and relief but with him it's just like there's never any relief like you think he almost seems like he's at the cusp of a revelation with her or somebody in the past and then he like he gets so close to it and then he just veers away and you're like, okay, bro. Like I thought you were going to, I thought you were going to get it. And uh, no, he's just like, no, I will, I will beat you at this game. Uh, It's all a trial and you're just playing with me and you keep besting me, but I, I, one day (laughs) I will best you. I mean, I'm a Taurus, so I understand stubbornness. So I can, I can, I can understand where he's coming from, but yeah, yeah. He, he, he brings a lot of it on himself. So but he is a very interesting character and I like them having somebody in the fold that he could have very easily just been a twiddling his thumbs, twirling his mustache, evil villain type. But the fact that he believes he's doing what is best. Yeah. He's not doing it because of trying to be a jerk about it. He's doing what he believes is the best thing for the kingdom because he believes he's right. Whether he is or not doesn't really matter to him. And so I feel like it would have been really easy to make him like this evil prime minister, evil being of some sort. But the fact that they did take the opportunity to make him a complicated character it does kind of buck the trope of that sort of style of character and it makes him really interesting to me. Yeah. You know, like, sorry, definitely acknowledges that too, where she's like, I know that you're just trying to do your best and we're going to have this little enemies thing going on and it's cute and everything, but like, we're both on to each other, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, someday you'll see that I'm not actually playing this game with you maybe. And but for now, I acknowledge that this is what you think. And like, great. I actually really want to know more about Anubis's friendship with Jormungand because I don't know yes. if I'm saying that right. <laughs> but I just say Jorman. I kind of tend to shorten people's like, names because wanna, it's like, yeah. I'm like, I think it's German. Like, I know why Sarafi's name is what it is. I get it. I understand yeah. the, the joke there in the translation. But at the same time, it's like some of them, because with her, it's Japanese for sacrifice. And also it gets into kind of the the word, the number nine, nine being very unlucky in Japan. So it's like she's the unlucky sacrifice, mm-hmm. but it turns it on its head by being the 99th. And she's the one that lives. So ha ha, poke, poke. 
But with Jorman, it's like, okay, German name. You are the <laughs> captain of the god. Yes. Very, and he's just very stately and like very just and like. He's just a he, good not, dude. Yeah, he's just a good dude. Like, I can't pin anything wrong with this guy yet until I'm like, why does he respect Anubis? Like, I want to know more. Tell me more. <laughs> it may make him a bit boring to some, but at the same time, I think it does help having a character there who is the strong captain of the guard who was a commoner who worked his way up through the ranks to get to where he is, but he also still shows kindness to people below him. I mean, we're going to probably get into her at some point, but princess, uh, Amit, like the fact that he would give her the handkerchief and be there for the people and just try to be, like an actual captain, like to be a good authoritative figure. It, you know, it, it shows he has a good heart and that he does care. And how is he friends with Anubis? Well, like, you know, we'll just, it's, it's interesting. I think right now from where we are in the story, when we'll get more into it later, but where we are in the story, like, yeah, he may kind of come off as a bit basic, but it's good having a character like him there, even if most of the time it is to facilitate somebody else's character. Yeah, no, I appreciate him very much. <laughs> yes. And I look forward to him being like, if not fully complicated, then semi-complicated, I assume, in the back half. Yeah. Just a little bit. But yes, his the romance between Princess Amit and Jermigand is A++. Yes. I love Princess Amit. I mean, outside of Psy and Klops, she's probably my favorite, like, non-main, you know, non-male lead, female lead. She's, like, probably my favorite character in the series. It really does speak a lot to the fact that she is this, you know, according to everybody else, ugly. She's hideous. She's vile and hated by so many people, but she's still trying and still trying to do her best to much like, you know, much like, sorry, she's trying to be this good person and trying to do what she can for her country. You know, like she knows that she, according to like some of the other people, she probably didn't have the best chance of becoming the next queen, but she still wanted to go out there. She still wanted to, support her kingdom and she still wanted to try her best and i really love the friendship her and sorry have it's a really good friendship and uh pretty much since the first time they met i've always really loved their chemistry together because you know they're the ladies in love together <laughs> yes fighting they have for tea love. time and make sweets together all the time very cute it's just, it's very cute, and the fact that they're there to support each other is really nice, and, I mean, she can be scary if she needs to be, I mean, she's a, she's an alligator, so, I mean, she can, she can get scary if she needs to, but she's always there for Sari, and always wants to be her friend, and there to help, and her relationship with Jorman is just, it's adorable. I love them. I ship them and I really want nothing but the best for them. Yes, me too. Yeah, for sure. And I love the scene 
I guess in volume six or seven when mm-hmm. Amit made the like thousand wish or thousand whatever yeah wishes yeah the, the wish thing yeah uh for each i guess it was for sorry and also for jorman gun but then she wasn't gonna give the one to jorman gun because she overheard him saying to his guards like i am not interested in taking a wife or whatever and having having children i have dedicated my life to his majesty and protecting the kingdom yeah. and then sorry was like no, you should give it to him, though. <laughs> you know, like yeah, still, you still give it to him. Yeah. I mean, I don't really, you know, that, that is kind of the the thing is, even with him saying that in, in that volume, I still think he appreciates kind gestures. I, a lot of it is she gets in her own head about things. Yeah, um, she gets very in her own head about every little thing, and it's it's hard, but I get it. Yeah, but she she is very much the beautiful on the inside, even if she's not quote unquote you know, beautiful on the outside. You know, she still has a good heart, and I think that's what really matters. Oh yeah, she's really peaking the uh, what's good on the inside trope from a beast. You know, humans loving a beast or somebody who is quote unquote ugly uh, trope going on here. Oh yeah, yeah. what Sari said in particular was you you could use to be greedier, Amit, and Amit was crying, and I was like, I have so many emotions. I know, oh, it's so sweet. It's, They're so uh, good together. They really are, and I'm glad that I'm glad that she has that little trio of cyclops, you know, cyclops, the the really foul mouthed. <laughs> Phoenix, Phoenix. yeah, really foul mouth Phoenix, and then Amit. It's just it's a really good like little trio of characters that all kind of surround her, and her little posse is just really <laughs> a little posse of misfits <laughs> to help her along. I mean, it fits. It fits the plot. Of course, it does. <laughs> it fits everything. So yes, I very much love that little posse together. Yeah, they're their best friends. Okay, but so there are some subplot characters yes, that we should get into. Some that have uh, a lot more to them than others, and some of them that escalate very quickly. Yes. So, Ilya, he's he's a guy who happened. <sighs> yeah, I don't like him. No. I'm sorry. I don't. I mean... <laughs> uh. He felt very retrofitted into like, you know, like it was a one shot and she was like, I have to make some cool backstory. So she just like made this very angry man and put him in there. And I was like, I don't. okay. (laughs) I mean, he gave off Gaston without the charisma vibes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) He is very much the Gaston without the charisma. Yeah, I just. And even more like a salty somehow yeah he is so salty like he just does not take anything i mean dude you're a basic blonde boy in a shoujo manga you ain't getting no you ain't getting nowhere first of all but especially he has a tattoo when, on his face come on <laughs> i don't care if you are voiced by clifford chapman it doesn't matter you are just so basic and so like he just comes on way too strong he comes on so strong like, 
She had like bruises on her wrist from him holding her. You had the opportunity. Like the fact that Leo was willing to not like everyone was just like when he came in, kill him, like kill him. That's how things are done. And then the fact that, you know, sorry, talk to Leo. Leo pulled the whole, oh, well, he forgot to ring the doorbell. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like he was willing to go to bat for him. And then he's just like, I don't think he realizes just how saved his life was by everything. And like, he's so dead set in his ways that he's not willing to really budge anywhere to the point where it just makes him really standoffish. And like, I get having a character like him in it, but God, is he annoying? He's just he's really he's, annoying. Yeah, I was just I couldn't. And again, it was like, oh, sorry, had no friends except this one guy who she swears is nice. But yeah. you never get to see him be nice. No, he just gives off nice guy vibes the entire time. <laughs> yeah. He is the nice guy. He's the nice uh, guy, we swear. With a, bro- with a broken brain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I've been so positive about everybody, but Elia is like one of the few characters where if he would have just gone away after that first bit of the chapter, where it's like the, come with me, we can go back to the village. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Oh, Okay, bye. And then you never see him again. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah. But they needed they needed more for a chapter. I get it. Yeah, when he was on the cover, you know, we didn't know who he was at that point. He's on the cover of volume three. And yeah. I was like, is he going to be some weird, like, princely character who comes and is like, I hear that there is a... a prince a human princess of the beast kingdom i must come save her and then he's just such a like twat and i was like okay cool now the only thing that good thing that came out of that was saying uh baby sorry that was cute her and the little puppy and everything like saying like saying like young her and kind of you know despite the fact that as she mentions like oh i know i'm gonna die but i'm still gonna be nice to people so yeah that's that's cute but also He could have gone away real quick, is all I'm saying. Yeah. No, he needed to stab Leo, make Sari cry, then be like, I'm the one who made her cry. Yeah. I have to go to meet myself now. (laughs) No bleep, Sherlock. Yeah. Like, (laughs) wonder why. Like, huh, this is the guy, this is, you know, this is the person I love. No. What do you mean, no? (laughs) Are you listening to me? I'm I'm saying the words to you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm saying this is the guy, person, beast I love. You guys just have to deal with it. I mean, if you want to go and get yourself killed, like, I saved your life. I don't owe you anything else. There's just, like, a weird level of entitlement with him. Like, oh, I'm a human, you're a human, come with me. He's like, I love you, what's the problem? Yeah. Okay, but last time she went to a human village when she got the miasma poisoning, like, as soon as they figured out, oh, she was the sacrifice, they treated her like she was on fire. Yeah. So, like, they treated her like garbage, and it wasn't until Leo came and gave her the miasma ring, which was very cute, but, you know, like, gave her the yeah. gave her the ring, like, she was still being treated like garbage. So why would she... Why would she want to go back to some place where she knows she's going to be treated awfully. 
Yeah, like, he definitely made sense. it seem pretty easy, and I kind of wish he had been like, actually, I went back to the humans once, and it was terrible, and I had to yeah. come back here because now I don't belong anywhere, and you're not helping. <laughs> oh, gee, I wonder why I left. Oh, yeah, you. Never mind. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was glad his arc was over. Yeah, so I'm glad he was only there for a volume and then he's out. So you don't need that volume. Like, if you don't want to read that volume, like, great. I don't care. Just delete volume three. That's fine. (laughs) I mean, it's still a good volume, but still, whoops, whoop. You save a few dollars. It's good, you know? Um, So then then the next volume is is one that we we mentioned already a little bit this subplot Mm -hmm. where there is a fierce fish warrior who he's renowned in in legend and his people but nobody in the current palace knows what he looks like so you know they know that he's very fierce yeah he is uh the fish people are very interesting just as a whole and i really love all of their designs because they could have gone very simple, but they really wanted to give everyone their own character. So I got the volumes here right in front of me, and I'm looking at like the back cover, which has like all of the main fish characters, including our little Duke friend here. And the fact yeah. that they did take the time to really design all these characters and make them all unique is really good. I think the I've mentioned the art's pretty and the art's good, but the character design really is amazing. The fact that even these little side characters that are barely featured are given enough time to really, you know, everyone looks unique. Yeah. Like you can't just go, oh yeah, fish number one, fish number two, fish number three. You go, no, that's the Duke, that's him, there's that. So yeah, no, it's, he's a, he's a fun one though. Yeah, so we get a little switcheroo, as I mentioned earlier, which I I still somehow fell fell for. You know, like a page before it was going to be revealed, I was like, I'm dumb. If it's any consolation, I've read the series in full three times. I still got tricked, like, the first time and this last time I read it. (laughs) Because I was just like, because I was really paying attention to every little detail. And I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, of course, it's the old guy. Yeah. He seems a little shady and he's mean too, of course. Yeah, of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? It's all a test. Actually, the one thing I found really like surprising, I guess, about that reveal was then that Leo was so mad about it. Like that, like, you know, they were actually genuinely like, hey, you questioned my authority as king and that's not allowed and i was like oh really we're like going here and i mean i mean i i get it i do get it but also mm, i mean he had he has a lot of right to be pissed in that situation but i also understand why he would mm, you know what i mean it's like i get it why he would feel that way but also at the same time yeah he was a bit extreme i think yeah just it felt like semi out of character for his majesty to go that far he has moments like that though and i think good or bad it does add to the authenticity of the characterization that you know every character has their moments where it's like oh yeah that's a little weird 
but also if everybody was so a b c d then it would get kind of dull after a while so you gotta throw in those a b c q yeah every now and again Uh, and then go to d (laughs) and then go to d Uh, no he was that that was that was interesting although i mean then you get into somebody like tetra and oof okay yeah so this is one of the trials is just like okay sorry you are now acting queen basically and so you have to do things that a queen would do and you know if you fail any one of them then you're no longer acting as queen so one of the first things they have to do is seems very basic it's like okay as queen you have to go to this little sub kingdom of our territory and give a blessing to a baby that's like what the queen does you're just blessing him hoping he has a good life he's the first prince of this family so have a good time Um, But of course, the mom of the prince is like, no, a human cannot give this blessing. And she's just a real jerk. And apparently she had four daughters before, one of whom is still very young. And she was like, I told you to stay in your room (laughs) during this whole thing. But the little princess is like, no, I want to lead this human around who keeps trying to bother you, basically. And you don't like it. So she's just like, "Okay, fine. And then this little princess, Tetra, like, okay, she does the typical kid thing where she's just suddenly really mean to Sari, but really she's just, like, asking Sari to play a bunch of games. And Sari's like, okay, I enjoy playing. Like, you can keep being mean to me or whatever as as we go along. And then eventually that breaks down Tetra's, you know, the fact that Sari is genuinely having fun and has no ulterior motives eventually breaks down Tetra enough to be like, I'm so sad because my mom now hates me because she has a son now and I am irrelevant and I just cause problems and nobody has ever liked me because I was born a princess instead of a prince. So I guess if I just go went and killed myself, all the problems would be solved and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to go here. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I get it because even describing that, I mean, look at how like, middle century kind of patriarchy was i mean like look at like king henry the eighth he pretty much had anne boleyn murdered because she had a daughter so and would not is like all right so i have all these six wives and it's like the one i love is the one that actually gave me a son all the other ones are irrelevant so there is that definite historical aspect of I guess what's surprising is that the child decided to be the one to take herself out of the equation. I think my reasoning from, I mean, it still escalates way too quickly from, from, I, you know, like I'm a spoiled princess. Yeah. I'm sad. I want to die. Yeah. It's very much an escalation, (laughs) but I think it does lean into the, this kind of the spoiled princess aspect of it where she wants to have control over it. Mm. So even though she's sad, there is that kind of selfishness there. I'm not saying I'm not, I don't want to get into the, I have depression. So I, I'm not trying to get into any sort of selfish versus non-selfish. I don't want to get into that whole can of worms there, but I'm just saying from a narrative standpoint, there is that sort of selfishness that she has. And it's an immaturity too. She's like, Eight. She's a yeah. literal child. Yeah. So 
there is that concept of, you know, an immaturity of, you know, what do you know? Like you, you can kick your feet and cry and scream. And, you know, in this world, there is death. There's a poison miasma. There's this hatred that's been going around for centuries now. So there is this aspect of, for her, as much of an escalation as it is, she, that, you know, guess I'll die is sometimes the only answer she can think of. And it's sad. And it was very heavy for a single volume to throw in that. Yeah. But I do think it was interesting. She was, she was, in, it was interesting that they could throw that in there. And it did have one of, it did have one of Sari's like, categorically unhappy or unpositive like okay fine yeah like oh no although granted i think part of it too is she was probably trying to call her bluff as well like no for sure like you ain't actually gonna do that you haven't lived like i have you're a (laughs) print you're a princess who yeah it's sad that you know according to a patriarchal society men are valued more than women which that obviously doesn't happen anymore. I mean, that doesn't happen at all where, where men are valued and treated better than women. Of course, of course we got rid of that. Uh, We got rid of that back in the 18th century, but you know, obviously there is that, you know, it is hard, but you're also a princess in a kingdom and you've basically been given almost anything you want. And, I've been raised for 15 years to be essentially a Hunger Games sacrifice. So my trauma is a little bit worse than yours. So if, you know, I mean, go ahead, try, but you're probably not going to. And I'm going to be there to help you. So I think it was definitely a power move on Sari's part, but it was definitely a little funny. Like, oh, oh, okay, sure. All right. I mean, I loved it, yeah, because I'm like, yeah, what, what are you going to just be like, you know, Sari's not one, Sari is positive, but not one to, yeah, look at a problem in the face and be like, it's not a problem, you know, like. No, she understands. Yeah. And that makes her really, that was a very interesting volume and a very interesting kind of, it, it's partially why I love kind of the setup of everything is, and they even continue this in the sequel series too, where everything is very self-contained kind of single-ish volume sort of thing. And so I, I really, really loved that whole Tetra Teto, the whole lineage of that whole kingdom, which is funny too, because originally they weren't going to be cats because she was worried about, oh, yeah. She was worried about the whole Vivian thing from the that whole first two-ish volume thing. Yeah, where, yeah. But then decided, eh, screw it. I like cats. Yeah, there are lots of different cats, so let's make it a different cat. I appreciate I appreciate her candor there where she was like, eh, they're cats. I mean, I could make a different design, but cats. But cats. I, mean, I can respect that. <laughs> Wasn't she particularly like some trait... She was trying to think of, and then she's like, I just, it was cats. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, she loves cats and dogs. It's very obvious. She puts a lot of effort into them. I mean, look at, uh, from volume seven, uh, Lantevelt. Lantevelt. These damn German names. (laughs) Lantevelt. 
I love him. my French, but I love him. He's great. <laughs> but also that name, like, I get, I get it. You know, you want to keep along the lines of like the German naming thing, but also Lantzfeldt. Okay, Lantzfeldt. sure, Lantzfeldt. But he is a he is a great character, and I love him. And I also love uh, I can't think of his name now, but also the the seal chef. Oh, Todd. Todd, yes. <laughs> I love him too. You love Todd? <laughs> I do. I'm sorry, I do. Granted, I just I love seals and a seal in a chef's outfit is just Oh. Oh, you're like that's what I needed in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I needed that. Like I'd take a plush of that too. I'm like, thank you. I'll take one of those as well. But no, Lantvel, he's he's a very cool character. And I really he's just such a cool character. And I Love everything about him. Yeah. Again, as soon as he was put on the cover of Volume 7, when I didn't know anything about him, I was like, I don't know who you are, but I immediately love you. <laughs> I've only known you for two minutes and I love you. Yes. And I love you very much. <laughs> if anything happens to him, I'm taking you all with me. I will be so sad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but so Lancebelt is a, is a hyena who has come, again, Anubis doing his Anubis things. It's not even fully his fault, but Anubis is there to give the speech about it. So part of being queen, they're like, okay, so sorry. Now you have to go do a thing on your own without his majesty. This means that you have to have a royal guard now. So we have assigned some people to you, but you know, you should pick your personal guard yourself. We put a call out to the kingdom for all the guards to come and choose that they want to they want to come protect you, and nobody comes except hyena, young, young hyena boy, Lancevelt. And so she's like, okay, you get to be my personal guard. And he's like, well, this was easy. And Anubis is like, no, you can't. You can't just pick this random hyena man. And she's like, why? He's here. You just said nobody else came. Like, So he, he's it. So Lancevelt goes on the little journey that they have to go on to do the thing. and. At one point, he's like, hey, take a different path. And that path leads to a horrible pit of sand snakes that he defeats single-handedly. But of course, this raises everybody's suspicion. You led us into a pit of sand snakes. What's your game? You were trying to kill the princess. And he's like, I'm not an idiot. Why would I want to die? <laughs> like, Why would I want to get beheaded by letting the princess <laughs> get murdered by a bunch of sand snakes? Really, he just wanted to show off and, you know, promote his own standing. He, he's just very overt about this. He's like, I want to climb the ranks and show that hyenas are cool. And nobody trusts him except sorry. And, of course, he's like, trust is for weak losers, but he actually loves it. And I'm like, oh, yes, this little soon cool looking boy. I love him. Give him a hug. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely the uh, the delinquent type character. They even threw it on there in the at the for those who haven't read it at the end of each of the volumes, they have like three to five pages where they kind of switch it around. So yeah. where the, the animals are now humans and the humans are now animals. And when you get to like human Lantvelt, it's like, Oh, he's the delinquent character. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're just, you're the delinquent. You're the, you're the little Sundry delinquent guy who wants to show off and be cool and you're probably voiced by a female who uses a who uses a raspy voice because I'm trying to be cool. <laughs> yeah. 
You have the Ash, the Ash Ketchum, well, more Gary Oak style character, but you know, like the very the that kind of character. And I, I, those characters are always so fun to me. Like he means well, and he doesn't. I mean, obviously, he cares about his own skin, but he has that moment, kind of near the end of the chapter, where he is just kind of sitting there, you know, hands in his head, and he just kind of feels, kind of feels bad about things, and. There's a there's a lot to him, and I really I really appreciate it when they introduced him because he is a very fun character. Plus, he has the hyena heterochromia thing with his eyes too, which is really cool. So, which yes. they only really show on the cover, but I'm just saying I'm looking forward to seeing more of him in like the anime because yeah, I oh, think yeah. he'll be a very fun character. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing more of him through this manga at the end. Yes. <laughs> yes. He is a very good character, and I love my sundry little delinquent. And I think it would be fun to have more between him and Anubis, because then you can try to see who's going to outsoon each other. Yes, uh, yes. That's what I'm looking forward to. I need it, you know? <laughs> I agree. Okay, so there are, I think the only other... Th- semi big things to talk about are like two themes or questions so i actually want to do this one first so how do you feel about leo being maybe maybe not half human but like diluted with human blood like it both makes the story more palatable but does it also cheapen like the messages? Cause it's like, it's about accepting beast kind, but like he turns into a hot human boy sometimes. So like, eh. I think it's one of those things where it's a, it's a tough one. I don't think it cheapens it is what I'll say. I don't think it cheapens it because, you know, we do get a lot of, especially now, we do get a lot of stories about beast characters, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. beast stars or this, or if you want to go into something like Centaur's Life, or, you know, if you want to go really etchy, like Monster Musume, Everyday Girl, Monster Girl thing. Like, these kind of stories have existed and have grown over the last 10, 15 years or so. But I also think that part of what makes Leo as dynamic as it is, is the fact that he turns into a human because he doesn't view it as a easy get out of jail free card for him. It's a burden for him. It's this curse to him almost, even though the person he's in love with is a human. He's in love with a human, but he views his own humankind his own human nature as just this awful curse and so i don't think personally for me i don't think it cheapens it because it is a very important part of leo looking at what he views to be his own weakness like he's somebody who will when he goes human he runs away and hides he goes and puts himself in a windowless room he goes and puts himself and doesn't sleep and like, and that's why it was nice when Sari came and visited him and was like, hey, let's have these sweets that I made and let's have a nice tea time together because you're still worth loving even in this form, even though you don't view it as something good. I love 
all the parts of you. So I think that kind of that that's the way I interpret the theme. But I mean, I, I definitely don't think it cheapens it, though. But I wonder what your side of it is. Yeah, it's always one of these things where like <laughs> Asher always jokes that I'm a furry. I'm not. He's like, you think Balto is hot? And I'm like, okay, I do think Balto is hot. <laughs> That's true. Um, so it's one of those things where I'm always just like, I guess it's like, maybe for, to answer this question fully, I need to know more about what actually happened with his father. Because that scene where at the end of his father's life mm-hmm. and his father is railing against him being like, I hate you and your diluted blood and I've always hated you you i despise you you're terrible and i was like well why did you why did you have sex with a human then like i don't <laughs> i don't understand so maybe that maybe there's a piece missing for me still yeah yes like, but ah! uh, i mean y- yes but also we're trying to only review the first seven volumes I and know. We, we were talking about like earlier where it's like we can't get super specific about little things so i gotta be general so but yes, um, we'll get into that. But we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that. But I do think there is a lot to unpack there. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I thought the other interesting aspect of this was that chapter after Tetra's whole thing, where then they tried to explain like reproduction through be- beast kind. Yeah, and it's kind of like the reverse of what it would be in nature because like there are fewer predators than prey, but they were like the dominant beast type usually wins out. So, you know, if a, if a mouse marries, whatever, a cat, like the cat, it usually is a cat daughter or whatever. And I was like, okay, everything's getting really weird here. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. No, I, I I get where you're coming from. I mean, I mean, if you look at like the sequel series or like the spinoff or any like things like that, it there is some definite. Um, I can see why they took that path. I mean, technically, his mom and Leo's mom and dad, like we mentioned, is kind of the B stars parallel of a yeah. wolf lion high dog hybrid thing and then a rabbit which is very much the b stars dynamic there and then you know that's very much the zootopia i don't want to bring up zootopia Zootopia. it is zootopia though yeah it's the zootopia dynamic of the predator versus the prey so it's understandable then if you're cross-species pollinating why the dominant in nature would also be the dominant in reproduction right. but i'm also putting way too much thought into <laughs> fantasy, fantasy reproduction reproduction yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i just say screw it i'm not actually a furry but if someone goes you're a furry sure okay whatever <laughs> like I love Bee Stars and Sacrificial Princess, and I even read White Rabbit and the Beast Prince weekly. Go ahead, call me like, a furry. That's enough for me to be a furry. <laughs> like, okay, you know, how bad is it really? I mean, genuinely, if you want to call me that, that's fine. 
I don't take offense to it. Like, I'm not going to go to a convention dressed up as a, in a fursuit or anything and go to any of those kind of things. But, you know, I don't look at it very much like a massive downside, I guess. It's like, yeah, I like these kind of stories. And? Yeah. Like, and what? I feel like, like I'm not taking offense to the term, but yes, in my mind, furry does require that level of dedication to go to the convention in a fursuit. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know. I don't, and I don't have that kind of, I don't have that kind of uh, energy in me or that kind of drive or personal interest in that sort of thing. But at the same time, I will gladly read this series, Beastars, or pretty much any other Monster Boy, Monster Girl series. I'll read it. It's fine with me. I don't really see any issue with it, because a lot of times you get some really cool character designs out of it. So that's always really good. Unless, you know, there are just as many bad series as there are good series. But it is always yeah. really interesting when you... When, you know, you do get these series, and it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, like, and I mean, I just, I just don't take it all very personally. Yeah, as you mentioned before, you're like, you know, being trans, seeing these types of stories can be helpful. And actually, I do yeah. read a lot of other stories where I, I kind of like. It's going to be a wild statement to say, but like, Darling in the Franks, I mm-hmm. actually, I know that it's crap, <laughs> like it's bad, but like. The story between Zero Two and Hero, where they like she wants to be human and she's a demon and he's like in love with her and he starts to become a demon. I'm like, I love this weird trans narrative. Like I love that like cross species like becoming each other, melding kind of thing. So I don't have anything actually yeah, against that. Yeah, I'm not even upset about that. I agree completely, except I would go farther. I I like Darling in the Franks. If it had, if it had okay, gone on, yes. <laughs> if it had gone on longer, mm. I would have hated it. Uh. But the manga is only eight volumes, so it's like it's shorter than a lot of series. And they and the the manga ending is a lot better than the anime ending. I'll just oh, okay. throw that out there. Mm. It's a lot better. I mean, the series, it's it's still, it's like I was mentioning in my little soapbox moment there. It has a lot of things wrong with it. so many things. It has a lot of things wrong with it. But if we were willing to accept Neon Genesis Evangelion as a masterpiece, and they're just in giant flesh creature things (laughs) and getting their bot Shinji, like, if we're willing to accept a lot of that kind of stuff, I don't see why we can't accept, like, and I'll take that hot take. I will gladly take that hot take. I like Darling in the Franks. Okay, I'm glad. (laughs) It ain't perfect, but as a trans person, I do respect that narrative there, and that's how I interpret it as well, so you're not completely off base. Yes. I mean, look at the Matrix. The Matrix is one giant trans allegory, but... (laughs) Look at all the dudes online that have made that their entire personality. I know, I was like, oh. Without realizing that it was written by two women. So, yeah. Whoops. Whoops. Oops. Yes. Okay, well, I love this validation. So I like, I kind of hope, maybe it still goes into the power dynamic thing that like, yeah, it get, throws me off about this, like Leo being only like a little bit human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of things will be resolved in the second part. And I think 
once we're done dancing around things, I think we'll be able to have a, a much deeper discussion there. Okay, good. I, I'm very excited. And then, yeah, I really just like the theme of like, everything in this manga is a performance, right? Because they all mm -hmm. have like these roles that they're trying to play. Like Anubis is the chancellor. His majesty is the king. Sari is the queen or princess, whichever she's playing at that time. And so it's all like, here are the expected things to do. And the way that, and everybody within that is trying to figure out, but like, how can I let my genuine self like... <laughs> you know shine through or at least sorry he's playing that game and then it's just like a breath of a fresh air and i'm like yes that's i love i love cutting through performative crap because i feel like that's actually rules a lot of our lives and i'm like oh no oh yes trust me i know <laughs> everything is just a performance it's mm. terrible <laughs> yeah i gotta live with the fact that i invented the term performative shoujo so i mean that's kind of where we're at there so <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's something that's gonna have to live with me my entire career so but you're not wrong there is a lot of performative aspects in pretty much everyday life so i do appreciate that you know there is that there but like we've mentioned they're willing to kind of most characters are willing to buck that trend somewhat they're willing to expand more than just what is required of them minus our little soon dog boy anubis yeah, but, like, you know like, <laughs> minus him minus anubis everybody else is trying to yeah expand the role <laughs> and they really do take the time to do that which is very deeply appreciated and it really helps the overall story of things even if our little dog boy is stuck in the past still i still love him anyway he's he's just a cute little dog boy who is weak of constitution he's trying I've, I've i've defended him plenty here he's trying his best he's trying his best to be a good dog boy he's a good boy he's a good boy okay <laughs> Well, then I think that we have covered the first half of Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts. So thanks for listening to Shoujo and Toe. Comments, questions, constructive criticism, concerns. Need to gush about your OTP or tell us how much you love beast people? Are you a furry? I don't know. What do you want to tell me? <laughs> Email shoujoandtell at gmail.com or leave a comment on the episode's YouTube page. We're at Shoujo and Tell on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. So, Kenzie, where can people find you and your work on the internet? Well, the good news is I was one of those people that thought ahead of time. So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at MacLovesManga. And my YouTube channel, where I post most of my work, is also MacLovesManga, youtube.com slash at MacLovesManga. So if you pretty much put those three words together, you'll find me on every corner of the internet. So. <laughs> you got a monopoly <laughs> on it. <laughs> That's what we always hope for. Are you excited every time you see a new episode from us? If so, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts. This will help the show reach more hearts, or at least ears. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back, very surprisingly, next time for the second half of Sacrificial Princess and the King of Beasts. How will it end? I have been teased so much, apparently things will escalate, and it's very exciting. Stay tuned to find out. Until then, bye. Bye.